So what are you hoping for this Christmas? Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of family, and uh, a lot of health. What are you hoping for this Christmas? I want these three books that are, it's, they're called The the Sun's Also a Star, um, Everything, Everything, and The Hate You Give. I'm hoping for health and happiness and uh, togetherness with family. Hi, I'm Brady, and I'm asking for a flat screen TV for Christmas. Awesome, how big? A 58, 58 inch or 60. I'm hoping for all my grandkids to be happy, my kids to be happy, and everyone healthy. A healthy, happy holiday season. Perfect. Anything from you? All the same. For a very nice, relaxing day. And what are you hoping for for Christmas? What video games? What video games? Luigi's Mountain. Luigi's Mansion. Uh, I'm hoping for a peaceful place for our kids. A lot of great family time, some love and happiness. Awesome. Merry Christmas to all. And what are you hoping for this Christmas? <gasps> hey man. Where's TJ? Was that Sophie at the end? Yeah, yeah, okay. That was that was TJ doing those interviews. That's wonderful. <laughs> Anybody here this morning uh, with the name Hope? Even your middle name? All right. Isn't that a beautiful name? To have the name Hope and to carry the name Hope. Last week I gave uh, this definition, which is just one, and, and I'm going to give you another one later, but hope is a feeling, uh, a desire, feeling, or sense of desire and expectation. Good heavens, there's lots of desire there, isn't there? For a certain thing to happen. When people have hope. But hope that reaches farther than just life happenings, which is really what this describes. Hope that reaches farther than that uh, needs a different definition that we'll come to later. And, and the theme of hope, when it, when it came, as, as I was praying, and as, as we were praying together as a team, uh, the theme of hope came for Advent. There was a man, just quickly came to mind, a man's story that came to mind about hope. That to me, while this is not a, a follower of Jesus, the story of hope in this is to me just a, a, an immediate illustration. Uh, I made reference at the end of our last series to Auschwitz and the struggle for identity for people in such a horrible demoralizing existence with everything stripped away to say in that demoralizing world where's my value now and Viktor Frankl was one of those prisoners Viktor Frankl was actually he experienced four different concentration camps throughout the Second World War including Auschwitz he's an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist who wrote the book man's search for meaning and he wrote this. To me, this is just so powerful. He wrote that those prisoners who gave up on life, who had lost all hope for a future, were inevitably the first to die. They died less from lack of food or medicine than from lack of hope, lack of something to live for. And that is not in the least a criticism. That's a reality. Not everyone with hope survived, 
that incredible atrocity. But most who survived were hoping for something. They were expecting, they were, they were thinking of those, those things or those people. Frankel, in particular, his hope stayed alive as he thought particularly of his wife and of seeing her again and dreaming of being able to get back to work. He was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and, and, and his heart was to help people. And he would say the most important thing in life is not the pursuit of pleasure or of power, but the pursuit of purpose or meaning. And I agree. I, I agree that one of the most important things in life, if not the most important, is the pursuit of meaning. Except that, if the purpose or meaning is only for this temporal life, I would suggest we are missing out. And that our hope and our expectation needs to reach beyond that, needs to reach beyond the temporal and just this life. So I refer now to, to, to Rebecca Manley Pippert. Um, she's written a, a number of books, and one of the books that she wrote as a Christian writer is Hope Has Its Reasons. And in that, she describes what society tells us about purpose and meaning. You see them on the, on the slide. Society says, wants us to say, I am not the problem. Everybody else is. I'm okay. I'm okay just as I am. Thank you very much. And I'm in charge of my life. You are not. Nobody else is. In, I'm in charge of my life. I worship what I want. Whatever makes me feel good is what I'm going to do, so long as I have the strength and the ability. And so long as nobody gets hurt, as I understand it. Nobody can tell me what's wrong. No judgment. So we can agree and we can talk about other people and what's wrong with everything else, but don't you do that to me, right? Don't judge. Nobody can tell me what's wrong. And God is whatever I decide, essentially. Is that fair? Is that, is that a decent reflection of, of some of what society teaches us? And, and, and I want to say that society also says a lot of good things. Amen? Uh, this is not just about, about bashing. But it also sounds very familiar and similar to the society that Isaiah lived in, Isaiah the prophet. He was a prophet for over 60 years. And we're going to him through Advent. Uh, I am going to him because that's the prophet from whom most of the prophecies about Jesus came. Uh, Israel was a prosperous nation, but with prosperity, and the same is true with prosperity teaching today, the spirits of pride and selfishness rear their ugly heads and they can take control if we let them when we are prosperous. Last week we focused on Isaiah chapter 1 and Isaiah's first vision and chapters of dire warning to the proud and the prosperous who were being unfair and unjust. And Isaiah's message went to the people of Judah the southern third of a fractured country. Israel at the time was a fractured country. The, the bottom third was known as Judah. The, the top two-thirds was known as Israel. And there were other prophets sending the same messages to Israel. And the warnings 
were pretty bleak. Destruction's coming. Uh, There will be discipline. God does get angry. And it will come to a self-satisfied people. And I will say today, as, as I had last week, that what very seriously concerns me is that the kind of society and situation that Israel was in looks a lot like us. It looks a lot like us. I do not have a prophetic word about this, but I, I expect that not only I mean, the church is concerned about things getting squeezed around us, but, but the more that we declare that we don't need God, you just do it on your own. As a nation, this is where I'm very concerned about how we parallel Israel. Sometimes we find it even more difficult to hear God than perhaps in the past. And I believe this may very well be part of it. That it's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. That it's really about nations and their relationship with God. But we're not going to stop knocking at the door, amen? We're not going to stop asking. We're not going to stop expecting. Because we know that God wants the very best for us. His best for us. And his ways are not always our ways. And his thoughts are not always our thoughts. A few years later, after the first vision from chapter 1, Isaiah had another vision found in Isaiah chapter 6 with more of the same message of coming desolation. And at that point, Isaiah is overcome by the holiness of God. And he volunteers and says, God, I've got this message from you and I will... I will take that message to your people, as controversial and difficult as it is. I will be a messenger. And then in chapter 7 of Isaiah, God gives a sign. At the time, the king was Ahaz. And Ahaz was being threatened to be attacked by two groups, the enemy of Aram and Israel to the north. They were fractured. They didn't get along. And God gave a sign. Even though Ahaz said, no, Lord, I don't want to test you. You don't need to give me a sign. God said, no, I'm telling you I'm going to give you a sign. And in chapter 7, these beautiful words, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Amen? See, many prophecies have, have, have... have dual purposes and dual fulfillments. There was a child who would be born within a generation. And there's speculation about who the actual child was in that context. But what Isaiah might or might not have known in his spirit that this was also a prophecy for 700 years later. And so many times throughout that book, we see in in these first nine, first 11 chapters of Isaiah, we we hear these references to the coming Messiah. Just incredible. So encouraging. And then chapter 8 sums up the message of coming despair. I know today is about sharing hope. We're going to get there. <laughs> Let we read these with me? When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, 
Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Not happy. But you know, the wonderful truth in those four verses is that God is saying, it doesn't have to be this way. It will be this way if you abandon me, God says, in order to consult anything but God. And in this case, spirits and mediums, and that happens enough today. Uh, people want to talk to relatives. They, 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 they want to they know. Because as people, we, we want to we have some sort of control, some, some sort of grasp on things when we don't understand. We've all had times of fear, and at least moments, or times of despair or desperation. They might have been short. Times of despair or desperation. Times when, when hope seems out of reach. Some of them are relatively inconsequential. Uh, we use the phrase, there's no hope for such and such. Ah, there's no hope. We've said that about the Leafs for years. <laughs> and eternally, there's no consequence. It's really, it's really not of, of great consequence. Or maybe for a student who did, did poorly on an exam and say, well, there's no hope for me to pass that course. And that is very real. I would not minimize that. Or as my chiropractor would say, for his child's hockey team, there's no hope for them ever to win a game. And he said, his daughter's the goalie, and he said, if it weren't for my goalie, it'd be even, my daughter would be even worse. And even in those little situations, those situations often require hope. You know, if a child is, is part of a team that keeps getting beaten game after game after game, boy, that, that, that wears on them. Wears on their hearts. Wears on their heads. Student wants to move on in education to, to achieve a certain goal and is falling short. That's hard. That's tough. That's difficult. What does hope look like in these situations? Well, hopefully, in them, we're able to step back and see the larger picture so that as discouraging as a failed exam is, often a retake of the course will actually do it, but not fun, not desired, not wanted, but it can be done. Or as devastating as losing every game may be, that's an opportunity for your child to be encouraged that she always did her best. Or he has bigger and better things to be and to do and to experience than sports. Fun fact for you, just in case (laughs) sports mean too much to you. But what about despair that's bigger and deeper? That's what the people of Israel would face. They would face despair when they would be taken over by Assyria and then by Babylon. Yes, go to, please go to sleep. 
Do you want to know what her answer was? I never sleep, Randall. Praise the Lord that God never sleeps or slumbers. Amen? <laughs> Have you faced a really deep time of despair? Or maybe you know somebody who is, and it's dark. It's hard to move. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other. Like maybe when the company you work for announces with little notice that they're folding and, and you're going to lose your family's primary source of income. Or when a young couple is trying and trying without success to, to have, a, have a family, start a family, have a baby, and, and nothing's working. Or when a family learns that, that, that a loved one, maybe a child, maybe, maybe an adult, has been diagnosed with a life-changing illness, despair sets in. Or when debt has just kept mounting and mounting and pressure so much of it, it becomes too much to overcome. You just feel snowed in and unable to, to handle it. Or when a person learns that his or her spouse has been, been hiding a relationship-threatening addiction or has been unfaithful and the despair that comes when a family gets the devastating visit from the police, I have to inform them that one or more of their members was killed in a tragic accident of some kind. Or when feelings of insignificance or feelings of guilt or feelings of anxiety or feelings of stress mount and the mental anguish just seems too much to bear and the battle in the mind seems unwinnable. Maybe you've been in one of those places or, or you can fill in the blanks with another experience or maybe you know somebody who's going through something like that. My birthday was two days ago. Uh, it was Friday the 13th. It had nothing to do with it. But unfortunately, it was easily the worst birthday of my life. And I had... I had thought it would be fine. Like I, we, I, I haven't made a big deal about my birthday for, for some years. But man, I am learning so much about my mind and the battles that come in it and how patterns, good patterns and habits and joys and, and sorrows as well that were part of our relationship as a family with my wife they became so much a part of us, subconsciously even, that when things get radically disrupted, like her passing, we can't predict how we're going to feel. And our minds and our bodies do things that just don't make sense. Because this is going on, that there's been a radical disruption of what we loved, or, or what we hoped in. So then what does hope look like? My amazing wife taught me a lot about hope. Trina lived with stage 4 cancer for just over four years. I praise the Lord because I have to. And I don't, I don't mean I have to because God says you better. I mean, I mean I must. 
I'm compelled to. And the average is about two and a half years, and I have to say, well, thank you, Lord. I always believed she could be miraculously healed. She believed she would be. And there's the potential when something like that happens just to go deep, deep, deep into despair. And, 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 and we live that with the Coopers. It's just, I mean, it's a blessing to see Kevin here today. And all that that entails, all that we have to work through. Maybe you have a situation or, or you know somebody who has a situation When things don't go the way we thought they would, and I remember over and over, and the Lord reminds me, the Spirit reminds me, that so much of what we read in Scripture, we also have to look at it from the eternal perspective. That when we read things and we have expectations, often it's in the temporal And praise the Lord when God reaches into the temple and he does something miraculous. Amen? But he doesn't always. We don't understand why and when and why not and when not. But then when we step back and look at it from the eternal perspective, we say, well, thank you, Lord, you still are faithful. I believe she's healed. She is in the presence of Jesus. And so what does hope look like? There is the hope that things will get better, that things will be less painful in whatever the situation is. But the greater hope has to reach farther than that. It has to reach farther than the temple. As long as we put our hope in things that must come to an end, whether they're possessions or jobs or titles or good times or, or success or good health, even loved ones, ourselves, you name it. So long as we put our hope in things that must come to an end, we will never be complete. And sadly, that's what most people have that gives them the most hope. Something to look forward to in the temporal only. And so if hope is to go beyond the short term, I believe that hope then is going to go beyond the material and the temporal, that it has to transcend us. And that's where a lot of people have such a problem. Because if I'm enough, nobody tells me what to do, then I don't even want a transcendent being to think that I have to comply, to think that I have to yield And if God is nothing more or a little more than what we decide or what we piece together a bit from here and a bit from there, then essentially we have made ourselves God. And our hope both begins and ends with ourselves. Hope, I believe, is the person who is beyond the material and the temporal. And by person, I mean a living, thinking, comprehending, creating being who is God and who transcends our 
limits. We will always have limits, no matter what we discovered, how far we explore, we will always have limits. And God, I believe, transcends those limits, gives eternal purpose for us. I believe that hope is a person. Beyond the material and the temporal, but who rather created the temporal and the material. Which hold out a lot of hope, but can't provide the hope on its own without the creator. And it's so evident in what we have done with what he gave us. In this world, this earth And if hope is a person who transcends us and who goes beyond our limits, that requires faith, doesn't it? Just as not believing requires faith too, because we put faith in something always. And as someone recently wisely said to me, we can't expect our faith to get stronger if we don't exercise it. If we don't give it to God. Because God will give faith. God does give faith. Paul wrote about that in the, in, in the letter to the Romans. And I want to say as we prayed earlier, God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned me. Friday was the closest that I came to getting angry at God. I don't think I ever will. I'll get angry about the circumstances. I hate the fall. I, I don't mean the season. You know, the, the reality of sin. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. I, man, I despise that. But that's what, that's what we live in, isn't it? God is sometimes silent, and, and, and God may seem distant, but God has not gone anywhere. I want to read you some verses. Oh, dear. Look what I've done. From Isaiah chapter 11, to come to the heart of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 11. The heart of Christmas is not about demanding that Christ be in Christmas. Rather, the heart of Christmas is demonstrating that Jesus is central to our lives. The heart of Christmas is not about feeling warm and fuzzy. That's great, though. But Christmas is about the hope who reached in from beyond our limits to restore and give hope that has an eternal scope. Amen? Isaiah chapter 11. Somebody give me a Bible, please. (laughs) That's what I get for shutting Siri off. All right, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Let me say, hope comes from the humble. We have a hope who is Jesus, and we have wonderful opportunities to share that hope. Talk a little bit more about that. But it comes from the humble. Jesus would come from that humble line of Jesse. That humble line, that family was a small family, but from the line of King David. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Hope comes from the wisdom and power of the active Holy Spirit. Amen? He's at work. Verse 3, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Hope comes from beyond our temporal senses. Because this is a spiritual hope, ultimately. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. I do not want to be among them. Hope comes from the compassionate. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Hope comes from integrity. In verses 6 through 9, this incredible image. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Isn't that so beautiful? The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a great promise. That is the heart of Christmas. That is the heart of our Savior. So how do we share hope with people? When people are in their their time of of deep despair, whether it's because of losing a whole lot of hockey games as a a young child and the world seems to be caving in, or it's somebody who's gone through something terribly tragic, our first posture is to be present and listening. Amen? To be present and listening. Sometimes words aren't, aren't what's needed. And always depending on the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and praying. I want to offer you two sets of three prayers. When we're in a position where we can offer hope to someone, we ask the Holy Spirit about the who. Who would you draw me to? And about the how. How can I minister? How would you use me? And about the with, to offer to pray with somebody. There are not a lot of people who will say no to that. It's a great opportunity. You know somebody's going through a tough time. Do you, do you mind if I, if I pray with you? I will pray for you. And then on the other side, if you're going through a time of deep despair, here are three prayers that, that have become important to me. Number one is to pray from God's word. And to speak God's word, to pray and speak his word, speak his truth, speak his promises. That is what sustained Tarina. That is what gave her life when her body was dying. And when 
when, when things are so dark for me, I will breathe prayers. And one of them is, just as I inhale, I will say, help me, Lord Jesus. And as I exhale, thank you, Lord Jesus. And somebody might think, oh, that sounds a little bit Eastern. And then I would simply remind myself and us that Christianity actually is not a Western religion. Right? We think it is. It's not. It was born in the Middle East. And we are called to meditate on God and his word. And the third prayer for me is the hard one. What can I look forward to today? You know, there are people, whether it's mental illness or it's through tragedy, just, they just can't say that. Or they don't want to. They're not willing to. And, and, and that's not something that I wanted to ask. What, what can I look forward to today? Because I, I have nothing to look forward to. Because something's been ripped out, right? But like, like a number of things, like worshiping God, even if we don't feel like it, and this is not a, it's not a psychological game. But when we know what truth is, but we don't feel it, we speak it. And as we speak it, and as we hear it, the Holy Spirit can work and use that so that we begin to believe it again. That's been my experience, anyway. So that there are things I can look forward to. And at the end of the day, I, I can pray and say, Lord, what am I thankful for today? Would you help me be thankful? We can share hope with people by sharing our faith. Please come January 18th or 19th. January 18th in the morning or January 19th in the evening. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Same workshop each day. Come to, come to it twice if you want because there's going to be food. <laughs> when uh, Catherine Gerber, who was standing over here singing from what used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Power to Change, uh, is going to come and lead a workshop on sharing our faith. And, and we, we met this week to talk about that. And one of the things we can do with people is, is when it's natural, when the Lord leads us and directs us, we can relate how we got through a difficult time. It's just such a natural way to be able to say, if it's appropriate, as I prayed, man, I prayed when I went through that hard time, and what a difference it made. Hope and faith are just woven together, you know? That's what I learned from Trina. They're absolutely, I think, inseparable. And, and maybe that's why Paul said these three remain at the end of 1 Corinthians in his letter, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. We can share hope with people by blessing them. In my office... I have a bunch of cards that were given to me by children who are downstairs right now. I, I wanted to bring them in so you could see their artwork. <laughs> what an incredible blessing to me to be encouraged. Never expected that. People who would text, people who would call. We can bless people by just saying, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you. I care about you, I love you. We share hope with people simply by living lives of character and integrity because people are watching and they will say, man, I saw how you responded in that situation. How do you do that? 
Sometimes we have no idea how people are watching us. That's a good thing, hopefully. And by being willing to speak the name of Jesus, that is one of the greatest fears, I believe, that we as the church have. That we feel muzzled. That we can't say the name Jesus. And we're afraid to. Can we admit that? May we not be afraid to say the name of Jesus. Amen? Because he is our hope. And if we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. As he was of Israel. Isaiah gave Israel bad news, but he also gave them hope. Last week we prayed, Lord, what would you show me about hope this Advent? This week, as we see that verse, Isaiah 7.14, this week I ask, this Advent or Christmas, who are you supposed to be sharing hope with? Or if you're on the other side, how do you respond to your need for hope at a time of despair? Let me invite the musicians forward. May we not fight grief and accept despair, but rather may we fight despair while accepting grief, whatever we might be going through. If you're fighting grief or if you're accepting despair today, please do not leave this place without praying with somebody if you're feeling weighed down. Amen? We invite you, as, as, as we will sing the final song, to do that. If, if the Spirit's drawing you, please come forward. Somebody will pray with you. Who needs to feel that sense? Or to receive, to feel, or to sense, or to receive or to see, or to hear the hope that you have. And if you're struggling with something, how do you restore and see that hope restored? It's by digging in with the Lord. That is by not closing ourselves up from others. But I pray, let's pray together. I pray, oh Lord, for me, for each one of us, thank you that you have opportunities for us to share the hope of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that at this time of year, you're coming as a precious baby, like little Sophie. And others. Lord, thank you that that's such a precious time Many, many people are open to being reminded about or actually hearing something they didn't realize is true about what it is to follow Jesus. And oh God, I pray that from each one of us, God, you would give us that freedom and that confidence. You would give us that that boldness against fear in the name of Jesus, against the spirit of fear. be able to speak hope as you would lead us and to be able to receive hope as you would give it. For your glory, we pray. Amen.